Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Speak to us, let's pray and we'll jump into it. To God, we're so thankful for today. We're so thankful for your heart. God, we know that in spite of situations, you are fully capable of speaking to us, speaking to our heart, of bringing your revelation to us, God. I ask that today you would speak to us. I ask that you would do what only you could do. God, I ask that, you would, that there would be a moment where we connect with you and connect with people. God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you're drawing us close. Pray that you would bless this time together. Be with us, watch over us, protect us, and keep us, and let this AC come on. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, I want to talk to you today about something that whether you realize it or not affects each and every one of us. And it can affect us to such an extent that if we don't ever figure it out and don't ever understand it, we can live our whole lives and never truly walk in what God called us to walk in. And that thing is identity. Say identity. Identity. All of us, whether we like to or not, are defined by our identity. You're defined by how you view yourself by how others view you, by how you feel others view you. I love the psychology of that thought of, of being able to go, like not only do I see myself one way, I don't know why this idea fascinates me, not only do I see myself a certain way, but the way I see myself is affected by how I think other people see me as well. There's a lot into this. But how many of you know if you don't ever really truly understand how God sees you and how God thinks of you, you'll never fully be who he created you to be? Maybe you've never heard this before, but I want you to know that God created you for a purpose, with a plan, with a dream inside of your heart. And he designed you to do something that only you could do. I was fascinated by a story that I read last week. How many of you um, saw the NASA stuff? 50th anniversary, super cool. Uh, have you, how many of you have been down to NASA? I went when I was younger. I want to go again now that my kids, I'm waiting for my kids to get old enough to appreciate it. But it's so cool watching all the 50th anniversary stuff and seeing the landing again and just thinking what a feat that that was. How crazy it is that only 66 years before the Wright brothers flew for the first time. Think about that, 66 years and then we're on the moon. Like that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. But one of the coolest parts of all of this stuff that I read was a story about a guy that worked at NASA as an intern. And after he had finished his internship, they had kind of an in-house sale of stuff they were just getting rid of, memorabilia, and, and, and he went in and he bought a box of old NASA tapes, just footage they had from satellites and different things. He said, I think it'd be cool to have this and go through it. And VHS tapes, remember VHS tapes? That was, yeah, maybe some, it's amazing to me how old I've gotten so fast, like, you say VHS, and my son was like, what is that? I'm like, it was like a t cassette thing. He's like, like, where did you put it? Like, that's way bigger than a DVD. It doesn't fit in there. I'm like, There's, we're, you're going to have to get older before I can explain all this to you. But um, so he begins to watch all of these footage. How many of you read the story? How many of you know what I'm going to say? Okay, he goes through. Good. That means I read a lot more than you guys. You need to read more. Um, he goes through all of these footage, these films, and he finds on there one of the original VHS tapes of Neil Armstrong taking his first steps. He realizes that it had been mislabeled and they had put it in this thrift store box. He bought the whole box of tapes for $228. It went on auction last week, starting price $700,000. They said he'll fetch over a million dollars for this one tape. 
And as I read that, I had the amazing idea that when we mislabel something, we depreciate the value, even though the value itself was never depreciated. It was depreciated because it was mislabeled, not because its value changed at all. How many of you know in this world, oftentimes you can be mislabeled? People can say things about you that don't truly identify you. People can think ways about you that don't truly identify you. You can think ways about you that don't truly identify you. And if we allow the labeling of the world or of our poor ideas to define our value, we will always sell ourselves far short of what God intended us to be. Far short of what God intended us to be. What we mislabel, we misuse. What we mis- Think about it. That tape should have been in like the Smithsonian. The first people to ever get on the moon. That tape should be put away in some vault somewhere. What is the, the, the value of it never changed? It's sitting in this guy's garage. The value was still a million dollars. But because it was mislabeled, it was misappropriated. And I want you to know that today, no matter what the world has labeled you, no matter what your parents labeled you, no matter what work has labeled you, your spouse has labeled you, past relationships have labeled you, your value is your value because God assigned your value, not because people assign your value. That's a great place to clap. I want to give you a verse today that I believe defines how God feels about each and every one of us. This could be the staple verse for how God feels. How many of you have ever had the thought, I wonder what God really thinks of me? Have you ever had the thought, maybe I'm the only person, I wonder what God really thinks. Maybe you've had this thought, I wonder if God really thinks of me. I wonder if he really thinks about me. How we define God in our mind and how we label God in our mind determines so much of how we view ourselves. You say, well, how is that, Christian? Because if you believe you're important to God, you believe that you're important to people. If you believe that God purposed you for things, put dreams in your heart, created you for a purpose, all of a sudden you feel purposeful. If you believe that God's aloof and if you believe that you're just an accident and if you believe that you're just here because of happenstance, you view your purpose like that. But I believe that God in Psalms 139 speaks so elegantly to David and defines to David how he feels about us. I love this. Psalms 139, this is the Passion Translation. I've said it many times, but I encourage you, if you are bored reading the Bible, read the Passion Translation. This alone has changed my Bible reading life in the last three years. Here's what David says. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every moment of my heart and soul and you understand every thought, my every thought before it even enters my mind. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book and you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. And in kindness, you've gone into my future to prepare the way. And in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful, deep, and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Now, just just think about this. I want you to really process this. This is written by David, the psalmist. David is the only person the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. And I know oftentimes you can be tempted to go to to, to, um, glorify Bible characters and what they walk through. But remember this. David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. David killed like tens of thousands of people with his own hands in war. David was no different than you or me. 
There was, there was two parts of David like there's two parts of me. There was the king side that he was proud of, and there was the killer inside that he wasn't proud of. There was nothing about David that was different than what's in you or in me. And in the midst of that, David, in spite of his past, in spite of his troubles, can still go, God, you are so intimately acquainted with me. This isn't written by someone who had a love relationship with God and it was just awesome all the time and they just galloped through the fields together while he fed sheep. This is written by a man who went through things that you and me go through every day. In kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful, deep, and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me from your pres- for your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There's no difference between the two. You formed, listen to this, you need to get what I'm about to say. You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside. You wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body. When you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something, you saw who you created me to be before I became me. Think about that. God saw who he created you to be before you ever even became you. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. I'd ever, I'd, hold on. Carefully, excuse me. <laughs> The number of days were planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you were thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires towards me are more than the grains of the sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. How many of you know that's how God feels about you? Maybe you've never had the thought, maybe I'm the only one, that God, did you, did you mess up? Are there parts of me that you just, you had an off day when you were creating me, God, and some stuff got in the mold that maybe wasn't supposed to be in the mold? Maybe, God, maybe, God, I'm different in this part of my personality or in my thought process or in the way I look or the way that I process feelings or the way, God, did, did something go wrong in the mold? And this is such evidence that God goes, listen, there, there's nothing wrong with the mold. Every single thing about you is intentional, is purposeful, and is useful. And if you understand why I put it there, it becomes something that you can use to forward what God has called you to do. If we don't understand it, we'll mislabel it, we'll misuse it, and we'll misappropriate it. And we'll spend our lives feeling shameful for things that God created us that way to do. I just talk too much. I'm just, I'm just too sensitive. I'm just... Stuff that the world has labeled you maybe. And in the midst of God going, I created you that way. I created you sensitive so that you could identify when people are hurt. I created you to talk a lot because I needed you to be a preacher. I created you to have a deep understanding because I needed you to help people process things. 
and things that maybe we've looked back on and been insecure about, God goes, I created you that reason, that way for a reason and a purpose. I want to give you four ways to overcome insecurity quickly. Four ways to overcome insecurity. All of us are insecure in some area. I'll never forget being 13 years old, 14, sitting down from across from my youth pastor. I have always been, if you're an Enneagram fan, how many Enneagram fans do we have in here? You know your numbers, you know your life. Okay, if, and if you're not, you should. It's awesome. It's very cool to understand yourself more. And especially if you're married, I think every married couple should do it because it helps you understand them more. I am a seven. And a seven in the Enneagram scale, you can be a one to a nine, means that you are a good time. That's what it means, okay? Sevens are a good time. You bring the fun. You make everything better. You like to laugh. Everything, like we don't like pain. We don't deal with pain. We just flip it around and go like, let's just have a party. Like, yes, this is bad, but if we can just party this away. Like we just feel good about having fun with everybody. And so I remember sitting, I've always been that way my whole life. My whole life since I was a kid. When Christian shows up, the party shows up. When, that's been my whole life. And sitting across from my youth pastor, if he would have said, how do you look, feel about yourself? I would have said, I think I'm confident. I think I'm cool. I got friends. I have a great family. I feel great about me. And he sat across from me and he said, Christian, I think, I think you're insecure in some areas. And I think you mask it with fun, Christian, because you don't really want to deal with the insecure parts of Christian. And it was the first time in a moment, it was like all these things flashed before my eyes and I realized I'm insecure in areas. There's areas of my heart that are insecure. There's areas that I feel like I have to compensate for. There's areas and things that I feel like I need to swing the other way just to show people I'm not like this. And if I'm not careful and if you're not careful, we'll begin to live a life never identified by God, but identified by our hurts, our wounds, and our insecurities. Four ways to fight insecurity. Number one, theology. Theology. You go, Christian, what, that sounds like you got to study a lot. Okay, That's not what I mean. I mean, if you will learn as much as you can about how God feels about you, you will view yourself differently. How you view God directly determines how you view yourself. Think of this, how you view God directly determines how you view yourself. Because if you believe Psalms 139, then you wake up every morning going, God created me to do something today. I have purpose. There's gifts inside of me. There's things that only I can do. God designed me and knit me together and I'm precious and I'm one of eight billion and God created me to do something on this earth and I'm gonna wake up with purpose and I'm gonna go figure out what it is today. If you believe that, then you believe that he feels that way about you. If you don't believe that, oftentimes we lose purpose. My view of God determines my view of myself. The more I understand God, the more I trust him that he knew what he was doing when he created me. The more I view God, the, the more I view myself the way God views me, the more I can trust that he created me with a purpose and with a plan. I've got to see myself the way God sees me. Number two, my identity, my identity, Christ confidence instead of self-confidence. What does that mean? There's a big difference between being confident in you and being confident in Jesus in you. Big difference in I'm confident because I've got, I've got money, I've got good looks, I've got friends, I'm a, all the things that we can put our earthly confidence in. And God goes, listen, don't forget, the confidence is not in what I created you, the confidence is in who created you. The confidence is not in 
what I created you. It's not that the creation, the confidence is in who made it. If you get in a Porsche and the Porsche breaks, you're not mad at the leather on the seats. You're mad at Porsche. If you get in a Ferrari and a Ferrari breaks, you're not like, this sheepskin is so, guy. You're like, I'm calling Ferrari and somebody's sending me a new Ferrari. That's what I know. Not that I'll ever own a Ferrari, but I'm just saying, if I did have one, that's what I'd say. Somebody's sending me a new Ferrari. Because my confidence is not in the materials that make up the car. My confidence is in who made the car. Let me tell you this, the confidence for you is not in who you are. It's not in this. It's not in what you look like. It's not in what you have inside of you. It's not in where you live. It's not in how much you make. It's in who created you and why he created you, how intentional he created you. That is where our confidence comes from, not in us, fully in Christ. I am who I am because he created me, not because the world labeled me. I am who I am, not because of who the world labeled me, but because of him who created me. God created you on purpose with a purpose. Number three, your family. Your family. Your theology will protect you from insecurity. Your identity will protect you from insecurity. And your family will protect you from insecurity. Maybe some of you didn't have a good family. Maybe your family hadn't protected you from insecurity oftentimes. Maybe some of the reasons for your insecurity is because of your family. I meet with people all the time who tell me, my mom or dad said something to me when I was a kid and it wounded me. I'll never forget my mom in a moment of anger saying something that took me probably 10 years to deal with because she was frustrated with me, labeled something in my heart that I held on to. Maybe you had an experience like that. Maybe things happened to you that you didn't trust your family. You didn't trust them to protect your identity. But I want you to know that God is so much smarter than we are. And he said, in case your regular family fails you, I'm going to give you a spiritual family of people that can identify you, that can label you what I labeled you, that can call you what I call you, that can remind you that you're precious, that you're loved, that you're valuable, that you're worth something. And when the world tells you down, the people who are in your real family or your spiritual family can remind you that's not who God called you. This is what God called you. Oftentimes people go, Christian, is it a surprise to you that you're a preacher? Is it a surprise to you, a preacher? Those of you who know my story knows we had a wild, wild past. And so people go, is it a surprise to you that you're a preacher? In one regard, yes, because the grace of God is very real. And on the other hand, no, because what was spoken over me my whole life was this. When I was a kid, I'd lay in bed at night. My dad would come and he'd tuck me into bed and he would, he, would, he would say the same thing to me every night. And it's the same thing that I say to my son. We say the same thing all the time. He would say, Christian, well, he, listen, between us, okay. Is the recording on? Shoot, okay. We'll have to cut this out. Um, between us. When I was a kid, he called me butt kiss, okay? Now let me explain. Um, he called me, not butt kiss, there's a, there's a very big difference <laughs> between that and butt kiss, like Dick Butt Kiss, okay? The Hall of Fame football player. Because I was just aggressive, because I like, and so he would come in and he would go, butt kiss? And I'd go, yes, dad. And he'd go, you're the joy of my, and I'd say life. And he'd say, and I'm not, and I'd say joking. And he'd say one little, and I'd say bit. And he'd say, don't you ever, and I'd say forget it. And he'd say, as long as you, and I'd say could live. And then he hugged me and he'd go, Christian, you're going to change the world. God's, plan, God's got plans for you. God has a purpose for you. God wants to, <clears throat> wants to use you. He's going to use you to do something great in your generation. 
So on one hand, it is a miracle that God got me here. But on the other hand, I am fully, uh, 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 I, am, I am a consequence of identity spoken over me from the time I was young. I do the same thing with my children because I never want them to go to bed one night not knowing that I think they're the greatest thing in the world. Not knowing that I think they're amazing. Not knowing that I think they can do anything they want to do. I tell them stuff that isn't even true. They're not here today, so I can say whatever I want to. I tell them stuff that's not even true. I'm like, you're, you're, you're just like the best looking kid in the world. You're like strongest kid in the world. He's like, these are, these are some guns, serious guns, right? I'm like, they're the seriousest guns I've ever seen. I mean, just, you, you can fly. He's like, really? I'm like, don't try that. That was a joke. Don't fly. I just tell him because I want him to know how crazy I am about him. How many of you know that's God's desire for you? Psalms 139, if you read it, is God's desire for you that you would know God is going, listen, there's parts of you you think are a mistake. I knit those parts together in your mother's womb. I fashioned and formed you. I created your personality. I created your sensitivity level. I fine-tuned the way your hair would grow. You think there's things about you that are happenstance, but each and every one of those things is a fingerprint from God going, I created you this way because I love you so much. God has a design and a plan that our family, our identity, and our theology will always coincide when we see it through his eyes. And number four, as I close, man, well, you can come up. If y'all think y'all are sweating, I promise, thank God I'm wearing black. Number four is legacy. Number four, legacy. I love this. I love legacy not only because I'm walking in my father's legacy and getting to do what I get to do and and countless people that spoke identity over me. But I love this because we were just this week um, at at a student conference, the largest student conference in America, the Motion Conference. It was awesome. We took some of our kids up there. Amazing time. And I'm standing there where I've been. I was on staff. So quick for those of you first time. I was on staff at the second largest church in America for three years in Birmingham, Alabama. Amazing church. Awesome. Best church in the world. So this is who does the conference. So I go up there and I'm standing there where, where I've, I've helped them put on this conference for years. And I'm up there. And, but this is the first time there was students from Valley Rise there. And so I'm up there and I'm, I'm standing next to the stage and I'm worshiping and hanging out with my friends. And, and I look over in the middle of the, the worship set and I'm trying to find our students. And I, I, I kind of identify where they're at. And there's like, we're in a big arena, like 15, 16,000 kids. And I'm trying to say, and I look over and I see our students and they're worshiping, God, you know, just pressing in. And, and in a moment, I was so reminded that all of this that we do, it's not, it's not for us. It's not, to make, it's not to make us feel better. It's not, it's not so that we'll feel good about ourselves. It's so that we pass down a legacy. In that moment, leaving that church, coming to Tomball, Texas, spending a year and a half building a church, all of it is worth it when you realize that it's not about us. It's about those who are yet to come. And when we understand that, when we take our eyes off of ourselves, we stop looking at our insecurities, we stop looking at our identity, we stop looking at our flaws and our failures, and we begin to see what God created us to do, which is pass down a godly legacy to our next generation. The Bible says, what does God desire from us? And then it answers its own question. I love when the Bible asks a question and then answers it. He goes, what does God desire from us? And then it says, godly offspring, to raise godly offspring. 
And I thought, how often, parents, you know this, can we get so caught up in our issues and so caught up in what we have going on and so caught up in where we're at and so caught up in what has to be done and, and forget to look over and realize that's, it, at the end of the day, it has very little to do with us. Every good parent wants to pass something down to their children wants to do something that their children will remember, wants to have their children telling stories, going, my parents prayed for me at night and told me I was going to be awesome and told me. And when we realize that it's not about us building an empire for ourselves, but us passing down a legacy, we pick our eyes up off of our own insecurities. And when we stop looking at our insecurities and start serving the generation around us and serving our children and loving those that we're going to pass this down to, all of a sudden, God created you to be fulfilled by that. That there would be something inside of you that would, it would bring identity to you. That you maybe were insecure in an area, but when you stopped looking like this, and, and, and that's, listen, I'm at this conference and there's a lot of stuff going on. There's still like stuff going on here and there's still, my kids are sick. and I'm, So I'm there and I'm trying to worship and I'm going, okay, God, please let the baby stop crying for Alex at home. If I get one more text that she's crying, the baby's crying, everyone's crying, I'm going to start crying, okay? Like if it, I've got issues going on. And I'm literally, I'm just standing there going like, okay, I'm thinking of this, thinking of the church, this is going to be ready for Sunday. Please let the air conditioning be on, God. God, you let me down with the air conditioning. We'll talk about that later. Like, I'm, just, I'm processing stuff. And I look up, and when I look at our students who are up there worshiping, all of a sudden everything comes into perspective. All of a sudden I realize it's, that this stuff is, is minute. The stuff that I'm worried about, frustrated about, insecure about, thinking about processing, it's not about that. It's about this. It's about God created you and he knit you in your mother's womb. Not just so that you would be a masterpiece, although you are, but so that you would impact the world around you. And the enemy has, a, the, every time God has a plan, the enemy tries to counteract it. And so God designed us to be secure in him and in who we are in him. And the enemy goes, the way I can rob purpose from them and calling from them and destiny from them and cripple what God put them on this earth to do, I'm going to build insecurities into them. So God wants to make you secure, but watch this. I'm going to, I'm going to, someone's going to say something hurtful to them in eighth grade that's going to wound them forever. I mean, their parents going to lose it in a moment and say something that stops them from ever really walking in their destiny. And in a moment, we're hurt by something. And instead of viewing ourselves the way God views us, we begin to view ourselves the way people and the enemy intended us to view ourselves. I met with a lady this week. And we're sitting there and we're talking about we're, we're talking about church. We're talking about God, and she just goes, "I'm an atheist, and the reason I'm an atheist is because." There's no way a God that loves me and cares about me that much could let the things that have happened to me in my life happen to me. You don't understand, Christian. Horrible things have happened to me. And I just, I just can't wrap my mind around a God that loves me allowing those things to happen. Maybe you've felt that way before. Maybe you've had those thoughts before. Here's what I told her. It's the truth, and I'll tell you today, because it's where we find our security in. The truth about the love of God for you is that there really is no real love without free will. Okay, let me qualify that. The reason you love your spouse is because you chose to love your spouse, not because they like handcuffed you to the altar and said like, we're getting married. As soon as you remove free will, the love, the love goes away. There's a big difference when I come home and my wife texts me before I went up here, I'm making a spaghetti, it's gonna be awesome. 
She's doing that out of love for me because she knows I love when she makes spaghetti. There's a big difference between that and me texting her going, if there's not spaghetti when I get home, we're gonna have issues. One is based out of love and because of that, it's a free will choice that she gets to make for me. God, when he created us, said the only way they can ever truly experience real love is if they have real choice because then they will really choose to love me. I don't think any of you would want to be married to someone who didn't choose to love you. That was just there because they were forced to be there. Now the problem with free will and with God allowing you to make choices is that sometimes people make bad choices. And sometimes those bad choices are hurtful. And sometimes you're on the other side of those bad choices. And sometimes people made bad choices in your life to label you, to hurt you, to wound you, to call insecurity into you instead of security. And maybe you've walked around thinking God allowed these things to happen to me or God made me this way or when really it wasn't ever God, it was someone else's insecurity and pain that they made a choice out of to label you. And I want you to know that today, whatever you've been labeled, whatever you've been called, Whatever hurts and wounds are inside of you. That's not how God feels about you. In reading a commentary on Psalms 139, the author said something that I think summarizes this whole thing up. It's not just that God knows everything. He knows me. He knows me. It's not just that God is everywhere. He is everywhere with me. It's not just that God created everything. It's that he created me. And when you view God that way, you will view yourself differently. It's impossible to view yourself poorly if you see yourself the way God sees you. And maybe you grew up in a culture like I did of church where you thought God was mad at you and he thought he was angry with you and you thought he was frustrated with you. I want you to know, It's not God's heart for you. I encourage you to go back and read Psalms 139 and put your name in there. Actually, Rebecca, can you pull that up? Can you put up 139? I want you to read this and I want you to personalize this. Lord, you know everything there is to know about Christian. You perceive every moment of Christian's heart and soul. You understand Christian's every thought before it ever enters my mind. You are so intimately aware of Christian. You read my heart like an open book and you know all the words that I'm about to speak. Before Christian ever starts a sentence, you know. You know every step I will take before Christian's journey ever began. How many of you know that is how God feels about you? And when you're tempted to view yourself differently, when you're tempted to think differently of yourself, when you're tempted to label yourself something or allow the world to label you something, remember this, no one can label you like the one who created you. No one, no one. You know why an iPhone's called an iPhone? Okay, because Steve Jobs created the iPhone and said, I don't know, let's let's call it the iPhone. Guess what? If I stand up here and say, hey, this is the Windows new phone and it's really cool. First of all, my wife's pretty hot, isn't she? Um, but this is the new Windows phone and this is, you'd go, that, pretty sure it's an iPhone. No, 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 it's, I changed the name and I call mine something different. And you, 
You'd be like, well, I mean, that's still an iPhone. Isn't it funny how we'll argue over the identity of a phone, but not over our identity? We'll allow other people to label us a Windows phone, an Android phone, some of that weird Google phone that just came out with, a T-Mobile flip phone. And you're walking around an iPhone XS going, I guess I just am a flip phone. I just got these limited capabilities and I can only play Snake on my phone. And it just, you know. And God's going, Snake? You got face ID, you can play every game you wanna play, you can play virtual reality games, and we will live our whole lives limited to our identity that other people put on us or that the enemy convinced us of instead of walking in our true calling. And when we do that, we will never fulfill our full potential. Wouldn't it be a shame to use this phone like it was a T-Mobile flip phone? Wouldn't it be a shame if I said, y'all like my brick phone? big case got to plug it in can only use it in the car you'd be like i think he i think he's kind of crazy like you could use that everywhere he knows that right like no gotta gotta keep it plugged in you ever have conversations with old people where they don't know how to use technology they're like you gotta you gotta plug in all this stuff i'm like no it's wireless that's why it's called wireless no no gotta have all this plugged up gotta have it that's what they told me i'm like when they tell you that the 1940 but still gotta have it all plugged in wouldn't it be a shame if I'm going around, kid, you got a phone? No, I don't got a phone. Gotta, we got to go to my car to use my phone. Gotta go, it's, a, it's a bag phone. Sit in my car, pull this phone out. You'd be like, wait, that's, that's pretty weird that he thinks that. But we do it every single day to ourselves. I can't do that. No, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not really me. I'm just not made that way. I'm just not. No, that's, that's kind of, if I do that, people think I'm crazy. I just, and God's going, you're tethering yourself to something I never designed you to be tethered to. You're chaining yourself to something. You're limiting yourself to something that I never designed you to be limited by or to. And my desire is that you'd step out the car, grab the phone, go, I want to be all that God created me to be. And when I see myself the way God sees me, it allows me to be all that I'm created to be. When I see myself the way God sees me, it allows me to be all that God created me to be. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear God, we're so thankful. God, we're thankful that you didn't create us to be limited by insecurities, limited by culture, limited by what our families labeled us, limited by what society's labeled us, limited by what friends have labeled us or misspoke over us. But God, you designed us for a reason, for a purpose, with capabilities far beyond what we could ever dream of. You built in everything we needed, God, before we knew we needed it. You're intimately aware of our journey, God. It's not that you created everything. It's that you created me. God, it's not that you're everywhere. It's that you're everywhere with me. God, it's not that you made everything. It's that you made God, forgive us for the times that we've labeled ourselves $228 when really our value is a million. Our value is a million. God, let us not settle for being in a cardboard box in the garage when you designed us to be on auction and in the Smithsonian. Let us walk in our full potential, God. Let us reach everything you designed us to reach. Let us break every barrier that you designed us to break. Let us thrive in every area and every relationship you designed us to thrive in. 
not for us, God, but fully for your glory. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to I do, I know normally I just do a salvation prayer, but I want to, I want for, there, there's, there's some of you here who've been crippled by labels that people have put on you. You've carried labels around your whole life and you've never seen yourself, you've just seen what people have labeled you. You've never seen yourself how God views you. You've seen yourself how people label you, people view you. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to pray for you and pray that off of you. I want you to be what God created you to be. If that's you and you say, Christian, there's some insecurities and there's some labels and there's some identity things that I've carried around for a long time, but today I want to leave them here. I want to leave them here. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Amen, 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 amen. You can put your hands down. God, you see each and every hand. God, you know every word that was spoken over them. And God, the truth is it hurt your heart as much as it hurt their heart. God, you saw every moment that they were mislabeled and it hurt you like it hurt them. God, you saw every lie that the enemy convinces us of, that we've bought into, and it hurts you like it hurts us. Today, God, I pray that they would leave here with an understanding of their true identity, that every insecurity would be left here in this hot building. Jesus, that they would walk out of here with their head up, confident that the creator of the universe intimately knit them together and molded them that every part of their body was placed together by your hands, not by an accident. And that whatever the world has labeled them, it's not what you labeled them. God, I pray that they see value. I pray that they see worth. I pray that they see how awesome and amazing they are, that they are a life change waiting to happen. They are a catalyst for world change around them. They are a blessing to their friends and family. Everywhere they go, they are blessed because you are with them. There is nothing that they can put their hands to seeking first your kingdom, God, that will fail because you are with them. God, I pray that we would see ourselves that way. That we would have a Christ confidence, not a self-confidence, but a Christ confidence that comes from you and you alone. Now there's some of you here today that maybe you just go, Christian, that sounds great. But I've never even started that relationship with Jesus. I've never had a relationship where I've allowed him to speak identity into me. Maybe you've had church or you've had religion, but you've never had an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe who can identify you and call you exactly what he created you to be. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Christian, I want to start that today. I want to start that relationship today. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray this together. I love praying this together as a family. I believe one day we'll get to heaven and and we'll probably all pray it there. We'll just be on the other side of it. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for creating me. Today, God, I just want to thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that you're the Son of God, Jesus. I believe that you came from heaven to earth 
to live a perfect life. And I believe you died on the cross to pay my sin bill so that I wouldn't have to. Then I believe that you rose from the dead to give me life, freedom, and joy in you. Today, Jesus, I follow you. I start a relationship with you. I allow you to define me, you to label me, and you to guide me to all that you created me to be. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Hey, we- Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.